Hi, everyone, and welcome to our second lively edition of She Said, She Said for 2022. I'm your co-host, Lena Stagg, the culinary chef and author of the Recipe Records cookbook series. It's a series of cookbooks that feature recipes, interesting rock and roll stories and facts, and fantastic song lists to enjoy while you're in the kitchen rattling those pots and pans. But today I want to share with you another aspect of my writing career, a more serious side that I hope will be of help to you or to someone's that are listening today. Several years ago, I lost my best friend to a disease that took her away too soon and too young. And it was almost too much to take. Um, but I had an experience that lifted me up and healed my heart. And it's told in my kidult story that I wrote called Little Dog in the Sun. I know with the advent of COVID that many of us have suffered losses. And even for those who haven't, these last two years have seemed more than a little dark. And I want to offer the message of hope that Little Dog in the Sun provides. It's a simple story with lovely watercolor illustrations by artist John Fuchs of Evansville, Indiana. And if you know anyone who is hurting, this sweet little book might help. You can find it and all of my books at lanastag.com. And as a gift from me to you, from now on, and from now until Valentine's Day, which is about a week away, I'll send you a free copy of Little Dog in the Sun if you would go to Julian Lennon's White Feather Foundation site and donate $5 or more. His foundation does so much good all over the globe. I'll send it with my prayers for a great 2022 filled with renewed hope. And I second what Lena had to say. My name is Jude Sutherland Kessler. I am her co-host, trying not to cough. I am dealing with COVID still and um, got it December the 31st and still having fun with COVID. So um, you guys stay safe as you can, as my mother used to say, be as safe as you know how to be <laughs> because it is not fun. Uh, but I want to tell you that Lena and I both have gone through what many of you are experiencing. I've been locked up in the house for 20, coming on 24 months in just a couple of weeks and only go out to pick up curbside um, where I don't go in the store. I've been in the store four or five times at 11 o'clock at night when there's no one in there. So I know what it's like. There are days when I never leave the inside of this house, five or six days in a row. My nephew, young, healthy, robust, 21-year-old, almost died. He got COVID and was in the hospital 36 days. His kidneys failed. It was not good. We've been down the road that many of you have been down, and we want you to know you're not alone. We're out there. We, I will be happy to pray for anyone that needs prayer. We are thinking about you, and similarly, um, I'm the author of the John Lennon series, which is a book that's going to be nine books that are historical narrative on John's life. And even though you read it like a story, it's all footnoted 
probably too many footnotes. I think we had 4,000 some hundred. How many, Lena? Too many, right? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot in the last book. So that you know, is she making this crap up? No, this is exactly what they ate, what they said, what they did, and so forth and so on. But um, I have two books. The last two books I still have in physical form. And um, for any of you who purchase Shades of Life, the new book, which I happen to have right here, uh, in the next week leading up to Valentine's Day, 100% of, of the money will be given to Julian Lennon's White Feather Foundation in your honor. And we want you to know that you definitely are not alone. John faced difficult times in his life from age four and a half on. And in fact, the reason that I write about him isn't because he was a great composer or he was a great artist or he was a great writer, but because life kicked him and he never let it get him down. I mean, over and over, he turned the pain of his life into the soundtrack of ours. And so we're there with you and we're inspired by this, by the guests that we're gonna have on today, who I'm gonna tell you a lot of incredible things that he's done in a few minutes. But to me, the most incredible thing that he does, Lane is going to tell you about right now. That's right. Uh, tonight, our special guest really embodies the spirit of caring and kindness. And that is so important in the world today. He spends a great deal of his free time doing important charity work in his community. And to him, caring for family and for others who need help is job one. A few years ago, he authored a wonderful book called John Lennon, Life is What Happens. And recently he was given a mammoth task that both Jude and I are grateful we weren't asked to accomplish. Number one, they wouldn't ask us because not only is he a musician himself, which definitely helped him to make the evaluations he was called upon to make, but he's also a writer for Goal Nine Magazine. Um, he has a monthly column that is, I've got it right here, called Power Pop Plus. Now, he does that online, but he also contributes to Goal Nine in print. He's interviewed unbelievable people, but Lena's going to be so jealous when I tell this, that he got to interview Cheap Trick and Graham Parker, and he's not alone again naturally because he just interviewed oh, Gilbert O'Sullivan. So he has, he's done some amazing things. I wanted you to actually see the books that he's done. The first book I do not have and I should have, it's called Shake Some Action, The Ultimate Power Pop Guide. This was his second book, John Lennon, Life is What Happens. Let me back up so you can get a good view of that. And this isn't just... You find, you see some memorabilia that is connected to John with the stories of that memorabilia, but you also get a, a biography of John's life in this wonderful book as well. John Lennon, Life is What Happens, and man, that couldn't be truer. But he has a brand new book out, and this is one that Lena was referring to. It's a gorgeous book. Isn't that beautiful? It was, it was published by Rare Bird. There, and it's a gorgeous book. There's the back of it. Yeah, you're getting both sides now. And um, it, in it, he was asked to evaluate the 100 most pivotal Beatles moments. And by Beatles, I mean 
Beatles together and Beatles solo. So how he did that, I do not know. Our head is off and his head is on. Mr. John Borak. Yeah. Uh, thank you both so much. It, it's such an honor to, to be here with you. Uh, both of you ladies inspire me with everything that you do and everything you do, not only for the Beatles community, but otherwise. And it's just an honor to be here chatting with you. Thank you both so much. Well, we're just impressed to look at your collection behind you. That is so awesome. And I am so glad that you're using a real backdrop so that, have you seen the ones where you people morph in and out of the- Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're not sure if they're warping or if they're being- <laughs> No, this is all real. I've got some of my collection behind me. Directly behind me, you can't see it, but it's a, a Paul McCartney autographed uh, photo that a friend of mine actually gave me who used to own a restaurant and had it personally signed when Paul made an appearance wow. down in Los Angeles. So that's Ooh. one of my most treasured pieces of memorabilia, along with my butcher cover that I acquired about two years ago. Wow. Well, I, my friend and I spent hours and hours and hours in her kitchen when we found out about the butcher cover, steaming off her butcher cover. And she did have the original underneath, but unfortunately, wow. we did such a horrible job of steaming it off. We tore it in places and, you know, it, it, we, we really messed it up, but I'm sure she still <laughs> has it. You know, it, that was a great afternoon. Well, John, okay, let's talk about the book because the concept of Beatles 100 is entirely unique. And I might've run away if they'd asked me to do this because they wanted you to, to choose the 100 most pivotal moments, not only of the Beatles together, but the Beatles separately. And I would have felt like that was pretty much overwhelmingly impossible, but you do it. And um, tell us what the process was. How did you, did you make lists? Did you talk to people? Did you get advice? How'd you do this? Well, I've always been sort of a list maker. Uh, and I like writing uh, pieces about music that deal with lists. My first uh, book that you mentioned, uh, Shake Some Action, was the top 200 power pop albums of all time. That was the uh, basis of that book, ranking them from one to 200. So uh, after I wrote the John Lennon book, Life is What Happens, which was released in 2010, um, did another book, Shake Some Action 2.0, which was 2017. And I thought I'd, I'd like to write another Beatles book, but how can I approach it from an angle that hasn't been done already? Because as, as you both know, um, so many different Beatles books out there by so many talented authors. And I was thinking, what could I do that could possibly approach it from any sort of a different angle? And I thought, well, I love making lists. I love the Beatles, so why not make a list of those top 100 moments and rank them from one to 100 um, in what I feel is the order of importance. Now, with any list, it's all subjective. It's all one person's opinion. And as I think I, I may have mentioned to you, Jude, at, at one point offline, if I had to make the list again today, it would probably be ranked differently. If I had to make it the day after I wrote the book, I would probably have ranked things differently. So. It's all subjective, it's all in fun. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's meant to spark discussions. People are going to agree with some uh, of my entries and the order in which they're ranked. They're going to disagree with some, but it's, it's all in fun and taken as a whole, I think um, presents a good capsule history of the band uh, for newcomers and also for folks who uh, have been following the band for a while. I tried to dig a little bit more deeply and find some quotes that, um, 
hadn't been used to death over and over and over in a lot of uh, Beatles books that I've read. So did a lot of research online and, and reading other Beatles uh, and solo Beatles books as well. And uh, very happy with, with how it came out. Yeah, it's, it is really <clears throat> amazing. Um, and you got to have a thick skin to do this because you know from the get-go that people are going to disagree with you. You know, I mean, that's a given. You could say anything, any statement about the Beatles, and there's going to be someone. I love to, to pick on Al Sussman about this because he overheard me saying one day that I prefer John Lennon's solo music to um, the Beatles. And so about a half hour later, he comes up to my table and he had the same look that you do. And he goes, did I just hear you say you prefer John Lennon's solo music to the Beatles? I said, yes, give me some examples. And so I did. And, you know, music, the love of music is subjective and what you consider to be important or you know, a notable event or whatever is all subjective. So you had to go into this knowing, you know, people were going to get argue with you, right? Oh, sure. I've I've done interviews uh, regarding this book. Uh, one in particular where the person who interviewed me basically spent the whole interview telling me how I was wrong about <laughs> everything that I ranked and why this should be higher than this and this should be higher than that. And it, well, you know, uh, and that's their right. It's all subjective. It's it's all in fun. Yeah. As long as the uh, death threats don't come too often, I'm, I'm probably okay with that. That is so good. Okay, so I, before I started it, I made my own list of the top 10. But I didn't look at yours. And then I looked at yours and see, because I don't think outside the box. I'm in a tight little box. I thought, well, of course, the number one most pivotal moment has to be Uncle George's death because that makes John turn to Julia, who comes to comfort him in George's absence. And when she does, they become best friends and she teaches him to play the guitar and whispers <coughs> that he has music in his bones, because without that, there are no Beatles. But you're not doing this. I want you to explain this to people. This isn't a sequential, if this, then this, then this, then this, then this list. So talk to them about that. Well, yeah, it, it's it's not sequential, as you said. It's not sort of a cause and effect uh, type of book, whereas if this didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. If that didn't happen, then that didn't happen. It's, it's taking moments such as the Beatles coming to America, Ringo replacing Pete Best, um, John meeting Paul, John meeting Yoko, taking those events and sort of ranking them again, in what I feel is the order of importance in the overall history of the band, um, both as the Beatles and as solo performers. So right. it sort of gave me a, a, a wide berth there to, uh, to determine what I felt was, was more important than something else. And, and you can look at, you know, with any list, you can look at number 54 and say, how is that more important than number 57? Well, it might not be, but, you know, you have to rank them somewhere. And when I compiled this list on, on that given day, that's where these fell for, for me, the top 100 moments. Right, right. And did you do this solely on your own or did you ask buddies and people and other musicians? Oh, no. If I would have asked other people, I would, I'd be still writing this book because uh, <laughs> every, everybody has an opinion. And uh, you know, so many people I've shown this book to, the, the, uh, the opinions uh, range generally from, wow, that's really cool, to Oh, you're wrong. 
So, and, and that's exactly, and that's exactly what I'd hoped it would, it would do. I'd hoped people would enjoy it. And I hoped it would, you know, spark those discussions because, you know, the, the three of us and so many out there who are, who are watching and listening, we love to talk about the Beatles. So I can tell you why I think Ram is uh, Paul McCartney's uh, finest solo album, even though most people would say Band on the Run, just like Jude, you would say that um, uh, John Lennon's solo work is uh, better than the Beatles, which I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. And we'll chat more about that later. Hey, wait till you hear you, what my favorite album was, Sometime uh -oh. in New York City. I know, <laughs> oh, Sometime no, I was in say, New York. I was just gonna say, it can't be Sometime in New York City. <laughs> Number one, yes. baby. I was just really? like, yeah. And it's fantastic. After you I, hear Jude, um, <laughs> when Jude dissects it, she's right. It It's an outstanding album. There, there are more, I will say, there are more outstanding moments on that album than people give it credit for. Yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. not a complete dud. It's, you know, like some people say. Uh, there are a few tracks on there I could I could live without, quite frankly. But uh, and it is not I, I don't think it's mentioned in in my book at all. But um, or or in maybe it is I don't even remember quite. In, in the back, yeah, somewhere. Not. Okay, I'm sure it's there somewhere. But uh, wow, you're the first person I've ever met who's ranked that as their favorite Lennon album. Yeah, I love it. I just absolutely there's so many earworms. And it's so politically woke and it's so aware it's long before we all felt that way. The rights of women, civil yep. rights. I mean, it was it was a spot on album. And I love that Texas guitar. And anyway, we could go on and on. But OK, well, John, so, John always was way ahead of his time. He was. I mean, in, he was in a lot he, of facets of his life, as you, of course, know. I don't have to tell, tell both of you. Uh, my, my favorite track on, on that album, by the way, is New York City. I love, love it. Love, yeah. it. Love it. And he wanted to put that number one, but because he thought the political statement of woman is the end of the world meant so much to him because he had been the one that abused women. He had been the one that did not. And he changed his heart so much. He wanted to put that number one, got all the permission from everybody to do it. NAACP, you, you name it, he got permission. They said they understood completely and stood by him, and then he got crucified for it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's another story. Right. Um, okay, two things that you and I totally agree on are the John meets Paul, uh, Brian discovers the Beatles in the cavern. And I, I found it was interesting, and I don't want to be like that guy that said everything was wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this so that you can explain to us more. Number 17 is George Martin becomes the Beatles producer. And it falls after the Beatles and drugs and John meets Yoko. So tell us about that, that ordering. Well, again, anybody could, could look at this and, and, and move things up and, and move things down. I mean, you, there's a case to be made without drugs. Would the Beatles have created Sgt. Pepper? Or would it be the album it is without drugs? Uh, you know, it, it certainly uh, certainly informed a lot of of that record and you know subsequent records. Drugs drugs did. Uh, of course, George Martin was was very important. Uh, I would probably move that a little bit up in the ranking if I had to do it today because you can listen to you know you can listen to the uh, the Decca audition tapes, for example. And then listen to the Beatles' early recordings and see what a difference George Martin made just by listening to to uh, to those two different uh, 
those two different things, uh, not to mention what a difference Ringo made. Uh, so, you know, things could always be, be moved around a little bit, but, you know, everything really in, in the top 20, 25, 30 is super important and probably could have been moved up. You know, I could have had a 30-way tie for number one, quite frankly, uh, yeah. or number two after John met Paul, because that's, of course, where it all stemmed from. But, uh, you know, things like Ringo joining, well, that, you know, the Beatles wouldn't have been the Beatles without Ringo. Um, you know, Pete Best was was a, a decent drummer, but he was no Ringo star. He didn't bring the uh, the drumming expertise nor the personality to the band that, that Ringo did. So would they have been the Beatles without Ringo? You know, Revolver, would there have been a Sgt. Pepper without Revolver kind of leading into it? Revolver, in a lot of ways, was sort of Sgt. Pepper Jr., or, or the baby Sergeant Pepper. Um, so, you know, you, you can look at all this, uh, you know, John meeting Yoko, would a lot of John's greatest songs have happened had he not met Yoko? Would, would sometime in New York City have happened if he hadn't met Yoko? Probably you know? not, probably not, you know? Yeah, it does, she changed him in a lot of ways and many of them were extremely, extremely, extremely positive. You mm-hmm. know, just Definitely. as May Payne had an influence. May Payne had a huge influence as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You Definitely. Know? Yeah. Well, okay. So one that, that I just cheered, I stood up and cheered about was that everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of people see Revolver as the pivotal album. But let me tell you, it isn't Revolver. It's Rubber Soul. It's the, the autumn of 1965 everything changes from the sitar being introduced, world music being introduced, and on and on and on. And you did, you ranked that as number 19, Rubber Soul signifies a new direction. Tell us your thoughts on that. Well, it, it was certainly so much different from everything that had come before. The whole uh, beat music persona was, was pretty much dropped. Uh, it had lasted all the way up through A Hard Day's Night. And then as you mentioned, uh, you know, the sitar was being introduced, uh, different lyrical, you know, they, they, uh, they were no longer writing, I love you, love me, do, please, please me. They weren't writing directly to their fans anymore. And that's something John had, had, had mentioned, and I think Paul had mentioned uh, at, during interviews. You know, we weren't writing directly to our fans. We were growing as musicians. We were growing as lyricists. We were growing as people. And we were writing about our own experiences, you know, things like in my life and, and girl, you know, totally different from what had come before. And yeah. so I think, yeah, that was sort of the uh, early clue to the new direction, yeah. they say. <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, you think about John saying to George Martin uh, for In My Life, I want something uh, Baroque, something classical, something Baroque sounding. Can you imagine them saying that early in their career? Right. Right. Just just two years before, you couldn't even have imagined that happening. It was still, yeah, 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 shake your head and she loves you. And then in that short amount of time, they grew so rapidly and changed so drastically. But it was great because they still did it in a way that was accessible. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so far out that, that people didn't get it. And, and, you know, no matter how far out the Beatles got, they still remained accessible. And I think that's part of their charm and part of the reason for, for their success and their long lasting influence. Mm-hmm. Also mm-hmm. part of the reason why they never released Carnival of Light, I'm sure. Right. That was ooh, way out there. 
way yeah. way out. Yeah, definitely. No, and you look at if you go back and look at Please Please Me and the early LPs, women are in giddy moon June spoon croon relationships. By Rubber Soul, the woman in Drive My Car, the woman in Girl, the woman in Michelle who doesn't even know he exists, the woman in It's Only Love that he loves, but it's so hard loving you. Those women in Norwegian Wood are strong, powerful women, and they are calling the shots. Right. And they, you see the metamorphosis as we begin to move towards one is the end of the world. I mean, things are changing. So I'm so with you on, on Rubber Soul being the, the pivotal LP, and you rank that at number 19. Mm -hmm. So let's go to number 22. And it's coming uh, after the White Album, which I also agree is hugely pivotal, and the Beatles Stop Touring, also highly pivotal, but it is the Beatles play Hamburg in 1960. And I think on my list, it was like number six, five or six. So give us your thought press process on that. Well, you know, that was where they really became a band. That's where they learned to play together. That's where they played off each other's strengths. Uh, that's where they played all those covers that were really, you know, the, the basis of their first several albums from Please Please Me with the Beatles, Beatles for Sale. That's why they could go into the studio and, and knock out a lot of those songs in, in just a one day session because they had been playing them for years, honing their craft, honing their chops in Germany. And I think that was just a very important part of the story that, you know, maybe doesn't get told so often when, you know, people talk about the Beatles in general, sort of a worldview of the Beatles. They talk about Beatles coming to America. They talk about Sgt. Pepper, Abbey Road, and of course now Let It Be. But um, the earlier years are, are kind of glossed over a little bit, but they would not have uh, been the success that they were without really paying their dues, you know, as basically a bar band in those days, you know, learning those songs, buying the record, you know, all those American R&B and soul and blues records, and really learning them, studying them, and then going out and performing them in, in front of an audience during what? eight, 10 hour, uh, 10 hour gigs, the crazy uh, all night gigs that they had. So very important part of the story, I think. Would you, is that one of the ones you might bump up a little bit closer to the front if you did it over? Probably, you know, it certainly, it certainly could move up because that's very important. But, but then, you know, you look, you know, or I look at the list and think, well, what, what would I, what would I move down? You know, what right. I move the, the first okay. single down, would I move that the Beatles stop touring down or, Ryan Epstein discovers the band or the Ed Sullivan show. It's, it's you know, as you mentioned, it's it was tough putting this list together. It is tough. It's so uh, tough. And you're able to, and this is what people have got to hear. He's not doing this in a cause and effect order right. because I can't wrap my mind around. I keep saying, well, but, but if you don't go to Hamburg, none of the rest of this stuff happens. Right. And your point is, yes. And your point is? Yeah, it's not it's not a domino effect sort of thing. It's not if, if this domino didn't fall, then that one wouldn't have fallen. It's it's more, this is important, this is important, this is important. Well, this might have been a little more important, at least from my perspective. And again, everyone else is going to have their own view of things. If anyone else looked at these 100 moments and said, I would rank them exactly the same as you did, 
John, I would think, boy, there's something wrong with you. You're but kissing up to me. I don't <laughs> think the same way that I do about anything, let alone something as, as, as controversial as, as this. So, but, but again, just so much fun to put together and to dive back into uh, the history. And of course, listening to Beatles and solo Beatles music the entire time I was writing this book. It was just great. So much fun. Yeah, you must have enjoyed it. Well, I know I'm the girl that eats the same thing at a restaurant every single time she goes. I mean, I even have nights. We have Saturday night pizza night, Friday night steak night. So I don't, I am in a teeny tiny box, but Lena, Lena is wide. She has, she knows music from probably the fifties on up. And so I'm handing you over to her. She's the one that knows. Go girl. All right. So John, as we mentioned earlier, you not only rank moments that happened to the Beatles as a group in your book, but you also include events that transpired with their solo careers like Wings and the Plastic Ono Band and so forth, which really made the, the task much more difficult, I have to say, for sure. One pivotal moment that you list at number 36 is John and Yoko's extensive Playboy interview which came, of course, at the end of John's life. So how does this final interview function as an impactful moment for the Beatles? Well, I think it's very impactful in the overall history of the group, because if, if you remember, those weren't just a couple of really brief magazine interviews that they did, or one brief magazine interview. Uh, it eventually was turned into a full-length book. Uh, by David Sheff, who did the uh, who did the uh, interviews with them, and probably the most extensive interviews that they had ever done, especially John. And the thing that was very, very important was the fact that they were able to talk to John about certain songs. Well, how do you feel about this? Who wrote this? What What about this? And uh, you know that now is going to serve as John's final word on the topic of all those songs that he wrote either by himself or, or with Paul. And so I think that's really, really important from a historical perspective. Here's the book yeah. for those of you who don't know. And um, like he says, it's filled with, for example, John talks at length about how he wrote in my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing to read and you know, to read his perspective on everything, whether it's music, relationships, politics, you know, everything, it's fascinating. And a lot of it still holds true today, you know, over 40 years later. And again, uh, I think the most important part of, of the story as far as the Beatles go, you know, would be him discussing those songs and discussing how they were written and the impact that they made on him and even some kind of humorous things, like he didn't even remember writing Cry Baby Cry from the White Album. Oh, no, no I, I think that's one of Paul's. <laughs> and, and Jeff didn't even correct him on it. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, it's just incredible how you can write a song. It's a pretty darn good song and not even remember that you were the one who wrote it. I, I can't well, George Harrison couldn't remember For You Blue. That's my one of my very favorite Harrison. He goes, I don't remember that song at all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay, so on with a little bit of comparing um, solo and band work. 
A significant moment in number 66 of your list is Paul's creation of the very first Beatles solo song with the release of Yesterday. Most Beatles fans are aware that the song, as beautiful as it is, created a great deal of tension in the summer of 1965 between Paul and the other Beatles. In fact, in Blackpool, George introduced Paul's solo performance as here is Paul McCartney who knows how to take advantage of an opportunity. Um, John was definitely threatened by the solo effort and tensions between the two songwriters increased in the months that followed. Um, in Beatles 100, the impact of yesterday falls after the importance of Paul's tug of war LP. So tell us about the importance of tug of war and why it supersedes the group's reaction to yesterday. Well, I can talk about both of those things actually. Tug of War was a very important record. Um, a lot of it was because of the timing. It was the first music Paul had released after the death of, of John Lennon. And there was, of course, there was, of course, a song on there titled Here Today, which uh, Paul still performs in concert, that he wrote about his relationship with John, a very touching, uh, heartfelt tune. But people were expecting a lot from Paul. Um, and he had sort of fallen out of favor a little bit, both critically and commercially. You know, he had had a hit with, with Coming Up in 1980. But overall, the McCartney 2 album, where, where that song came from, wasn't super successful. wasn't one of his best efforts um, critically. And then before that, uh, Wing's final album, Back to the Egg, uh, was I think the worst performing McCartney solo record of the of the 70s. So he was in a little bit of a slump and he had a lot to prove. And so I think the combination of him having a lot to prove, him really striking out mainly for the first time as as a as a solo act after Wings broke up. I mean McCartney too was just sort of a lark. I don't I don't think he took that seriously. Um, he had a lot to prove. So he went out and you know, got some heavy hitters to help him. He, you know, did those two songs with uh, Stevie Wonder. He did a song with Carl Perkins. Had a lot of people uh, playing with him in, in the studio, Steve Gadd and all sorts of other folks who helped him out. And, you know, really had a lot to prove after the death of, of John and wanted to come back into the limelight strong. And he really did. The album was a critical success. It was a commercial success. And, you know, no matter what one may think of Ebony and Ivory, it's still a very catchy song. And it was, it was one of his bigger hits. And so I think that, that factors into the story, it kind of brought Paul back into relevance a little bit and showed that when he was sort of backed into a corner, he could still, uh, he could still bring the goods and, and come out with an album that was um, commercially and artistically uh, triumphant. Uh, as, as far as uh, yesterday goes, um, interesting that you mentioned the, the opportunity Knox quote, because what, what George actually said was, now for Paul McCartney of Liverpool, opportunity Knox. And the reason why he said that, and you probably both know this, was there was, a, um, there was an American Idol type program in Britain called Opportunity Knox. And it, it was sort of, uh, you know, you would go on there and... and Mary Hopkin was actually on that show. I did a little bit of research and found that out. Uh, Paul's uh, later pro protege. That's um, interesting. I didn't yeah, know that. She was a winner on or, or performed on Opportunity Knox. 
so it, it was sort of like an American Idol thing. And George was poking, you know, a little bit of a poking uh, jab at, at Paul there. Um, Spike Milligan, uh, The Goon Show. John was a big fan of The Goon Show. Spike Milligan was also on Opportunity Knox. So obviously Paul knew uh, George was was jabbing him a little bit there. But yeah. that was the first live performance of, of that song. And, um, you know, you can see that as being Paul's first solo tune, really. You can also almost look at it as the beginning of the 1970s singer-songwriter era. You know, it's not that big of a leap from yesterday to some of James Taylor and Cat Stevens stuff that would come about five years later. Um, you know, another funny moment uh, when they performed it in, in concert was, um, I don't know where this concert took place, but Paul performed yesterday and the Beatles come back out on stage because it was just Paul. The rest of the Beatles come back out on stage and John looks at Paul and says, thank you, Ringo. That was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> broke everybody up. And I still laugh whenever I, I see that clip. <laughs> that wasn't the Ed, it wasn't Ed Sullivan, was it? No, it was a, it was a live show. Uh, I'm not sure where, but it's on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> That's so cute. So, John, I'm a huge George Harrison fan, and I was delighted to see that the release of All Things Must Pass made the top 25 most pivotal Beatles events. So tell us why you state that this LP is remembered by many as Harrison's finest moment. Oh, that's, well, that's George's uh, magnum opus, as they would say. It was sprawling. It was beautiful. It had his best known song on there, My Sweet Lord. It had a lot of other really wonderful tunes that, um, you know, still sound great today when they uh, reissued it and remastered it just in the past year or two. Uh, really uh, breathed new life into those songs. And you could hear uh, George pouring his heart out basically you know he had had a lot of those songs in his pocket already you know as, as folks who watched the get back movie have seen you know he was trying to uh introduce all things must pass the, the song to the to the beatles uh during those rehearsals and you know just so much great stuff he'd been holding on to a lot of these songs for years and years and years and he actually referred to it um not in the kindest terms but he called it musical diarrhea he was just kind of <laughs> let it go <laughs> let it roll as as he says on that album uh and, and just get it all out there and so, you know it was uh it's a wonderful achievement and you know i think it was uh one of the uh, most artistically and commercially successful uh post beatles records of any of the four and and it, it proved that you know george was a great singer great songwriter and uh probably you know most importantly to him at that point in his career prove that he didn't need John or Paul to be able to produce a great record. Right. I do enjoy at the end of your book, you have a chapter for each Beatle of the, the, the top 10 songs that, so I enjoyed reading um, about your choices for George as well. Oh yeah. So. There's, there's so many great songs that all four of them did. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to choose. It's, 10. It, it's difficult to narrow it down to 10. And a lot of my choices, uh, you know, some might say are bizarre. You know, most people don't don't count Junior's Farm as their favorite Paul McCartney solo track, which I do. Uh, most people don't count You Never Give Me Your Money. Uh, they don't rank that as their favorite Beatles song, but I do. So it's, it's all about choice. And again, just like with the book, um, it's all subjective and it's all 
what you feel and, and what you enjoy. And, and, uh, but it's all good. I mean, all the Beatles stuff, Listen to any of it, it's, it's just all wonderful. It is. It is. So both Jude and I really loved the foreword in that you wrote about um, experiencing Paul McCartney with your daughter. And like you, I've shared some touching moments with my daughter as well. Um, when um, we listened to the Beatles, I, when she was about 10 years old, I walked in the kitchen one day and she was on the computer and she was listening to yesterday and she had tears just streaming down her face. And she says, mom, Paul really loved Linda so much, didn't Aww. he? <laughs> it was, it was a very precious, precious moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, sweetheart, he did. <laughs> wow. That, you know, but it was, I've never forgotten that. And, you know, that, that moment touched her and, um, Hopefully my internet is working okay. I'm getting a message. Okay, but um, you you wrote your foreword with with tremendous passion and emotion, and I thought it would be nice for you to share with the readers um, what what that experience was was about. Well, I I wrote the foreword. Um, well, first of all, both of my children love the Beatles. Uh, how could they not? Growing up in this house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but having said that, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't force them, you know, uh, and I would never do that. Um, you know, they never really grew up liking a lot of the music that their peers listened to. I remember um, we were walking into some place, and my son at the time was about seven years old, and they were playing some really obnoxious rap mm -hmm. song, vulgar rap song, and. Um, my son looked at me, he goes, dad, I don't like all that yo, 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 yo music. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I really don't, I really don't like it so much either. But, uh, but he loves the Beatles. One of my cool moments was me walking in the house one day and I'm hearing, I'm, I walk in the kitchen and I hear Blackbird coming from the other room. I'm like, oh yeah, I love that song. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it stops and I'm thinking, wait, where's the vocal? I go in and my son had taught himself how to play Blackbird on the acoustic guitar. I, and, and that's not an easy song to play on acoustic guitar. And Yes, very. You know, he, had, he had taken some guitar lessons a, a few years previous to that. Wow. Uh, and, and he had stopped. And, and I walked in and I said, Michael, that was great. I said, how did you learn how to do that? He goes, oh, just on the internet. Saw it on YouTube and watched it and learned how to do it. So, but my... <laughs> My, my daughter Kayla and I have always had a, a special connection regarding the Beatles. I used to rock her to sleep when she was a baby singing her Beatles songs. I remember singing uh, And I Love Her uh, as, I was, as I would rock her to sleep. And um, we've seen Paul in concert together oh, four, four times now uh, in Las Vegas and, and here in Los Angeles four different times. And what I write about in the foreword of the book was um well currently it's it's the last concert paul has performed up through now the final concert of his 2019 tour in los angeles at dodger stadium and it was um that special moment when ringo came out on stage and um i get emotional just thinking about it when ringo came out on stage and and joined paul for the encore and uh and and as soon as he walked out on that stage kayla and i both just started crying yeah and and we both knew why we were crying. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was not only the music 
that was being played is not only Paul and Ringo being together, you know, it was that connection that that we had. And as I write uh, in the in the foreword, um, you know, I I asked her later, uh, you know, I I know why I was crying. Why were you crying? And she said, Daddy, I was just so happy to be able to share that moment with you. Yeah. And, and sitting in my bed in Shreveport, Louisiana, yeah. reading that foreword, I was crying too. I was. So. I was too. <laughs> you know, I read it. I, I read it again, and I cry honestly. And and I wrote it, which which is really, yeah. Yeah. I, it's, you know, we're we're Kayla and I are both very emotional people, and music touches us. And and the Beatles, you know. The Beatles touch both of us, and you know, there's no other band that I can think of, and I'm sure I'm sure it happens, but that that touches people in that way, that brings people together in that way that spans all ages and races and colors and eras. You know, I I play drums in a, in a Beatles cover band called Let It Be, and we have 80 year old people in the audience dancing and singing the words to the songs. We have we had an eight-year-old kid come up and asked us to play, you know, I forget what the song was, but it was a relatively obscure Beatles song. You wouldn't expect an eight-year-old child to know. And it's, a, you know, and everyone has a story. You know, yeah, everyone yeah, has yeah. a story. I remember we were, we were playing a show in a, uh, in a nightclub and this young woman was, was sitting near us. And every time we would break into a song, she would start to cry. And then she would compose herself. We, we'd finish the song. We break into the next song, she'd start to cry. And so we were chatting during during the break, and I said, Wow, these songs must really move you. And she goes, Well, my dad just passed away about six months ago, and he was the hugest Beatle fan, and that's how we bonded. And every time you played a song, it was one that reminded me of him. What what other band does that? I can't think of no. it. I can't either. The Beatles are responsible for so many emotional relationships that people have, yep. and uh, and and it touches every everybody, and mm -hmm. no matter color, age, sex, it it covers everyone. Everyone um, can uh, are emotion is emotionally drawn to them uh, as well. So I just love all that that you. Um, share with us in that forward. It's really beautiful. It sets a tender mood for the walk through the Beatles years together and through their solo careers that your book affords. You. you begin the journey in appreciation for what they've meant to us all. And that is highlighted on every page via your outstanding memories that you share with the reader. So John, please tell us how people can buy your book and where they can follow you on social media. Well, I am on uh, Twitter, PopDudeJB, or uh, Facebook. I have a personal Facebook page where you can find me. I also have a Facebook page, John Borak Author, where I keep people up to date on what I'm doing with my you know, columns in Goldmine Magazine, uh, appearances I'm making to promote the Beatles 100 and whatnot. Uh, you can find the book, um, Everywhere online, you can get it from the Rare Bird website. They have autographed copies available there. It's also available on Amazon, um, barnesandnoble.com. Somebody actually sent me an email. You can find it on the Home Goods website. I'm not sure why it's there. I, I was wondering if maybe uh, maybe Victoria's Secret website was going to carry it next. <laughs> I wasn't sure. 
but it's 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 out there all, all over or if you want an autographed copy directly from me you can contact me through either of my uh, social media accounts fantastic well you know we love having you on the show john and i i knew you were a musician but i didn't know you were a drummer i have one question to ask you that i didn't tell you i was going to ask you but mm -hmm. living where you live did you know hal blaine i met hal once uh and I, we have a mutual friend, Jude, who is good friends with Hal Blaine, Alan Bernhoff. Alan Bernhoff, yeah. yes. I yeah. knew Alan was friends with him, and I knew you knew Alan, so I thought, I wonder if he knew Hal. Yeah, I met Hal at, um, it, you know, I think it was when the Fest for Beatle fans came out here to L.A. in 2014. Wow. I was there speaking <laughs> about my uh, John Lennon book at the time, and uh, kind, kind of a funny story, Hal... Uh, was at a booth signing autographs. I wanted to go up to him and tell him how much I, you know, the, the standard stuff. I love your drumming on this yeah. song, soundtrack mm -hmm. to my life, all this stuff. Hal was having a hard time with his iPhone at that particular moment. And so he was sitting at the booth with his iPhone, swearing at it. And I, oh, this phone, I can't even, uh, you know how to work this, you know, peppered with four letter words. And, and so I, I sort of helped him with his iPhone. <laughs> and I never got the chance to tell him how, how great his drumming was or how much it meant to me, but I did get a photo with him. So that was my Hal Blaine story. That is That's amazing. Great. That is so amazing. Well, everybody, I, I want to say, you're not going to agree with the things that are in this book. And John's fine with that. He's fine with you discussing, reading his reasons, coming up with your own. But you want to have this book because I can't think of a better Beatles party order some pizzas or make your own pizzas <laughs> and a salad and a couple of bottles of wine and then say, all right, let's see what he's got for number 16. Heck no, that's not number 16. Mm -hmm. And discuss it because I think, don't you think it's the perfect conversation starter, John? Well, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to start those conversations to, to spark the disagreements. And, you know, Rare Bird, Rare Bird puts in their description of the book, John has created a book to agree with and disagree with. Right. You might agree with with where I put something, but not where I ranked it. And right. that's that's part of the fun of the whole thing. It's it's a lighthearted look at, at the history. And um, you know, it's it's just something to have fun with. It's not something to be taken seriously. It's not like I'm saying this is a top one hundred be all end all. You cannot disagree with me. Well, of course you can disagree with me. Right. My right. wife does it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> As I have a neighbor across the street who told me something she wanted me to do in my yard and I didn't do it. And she was right. Her husband, and she walked by and I said, I've ordered the t-shirt that says, listen to Emily. And he says, I have that t-shirt. It's so old. It has holes in it. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to just listen to him, John. Just listen there you to go. Him. Thank That's you, John. Good. Thank you so much for being thank on. You. Thank, thank you. you thank you. Thank you. a great time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was great. It was really great. Love your book. Thank you. So, and thanks to each and every person listening to this podcast, viewing this podcast even. We appreciate the gift of your time being with us today. So don't forget to get a free copy of Little Dog in the Sun. Simply make a donation to the White Feather Foundation between now and Valentine's Day. And if you email me a confirmation of your, your gift, I will send you the book. My email address is stag, S-T-A-G-G, -G, recipes at gmail.com. And I will send you the book. 
And remember that on February 14th and 15th, all proceeds from the sale of Jude's Shades of Life, Volume 5 in the John Lennon series, will be donated to the White Feather Foundation as well. I wrote a blog called Wait Till It's Bad. It, you know, I just, I think so many times that you have horrible days and you think this is it, I can't stand this anymore. And I just think sometimes if you'll just wait, just wait a couple of days till the sun shines. So 318central.com, which you can find on Facebook, has my article for this month, Wait Till the Sun Shines. It's about a man named A.C. Steer who changed the face of this town. And when he heard that the great crash was coming of the 1920s, he shot himself. But wait till you hear the end of the story. Sometimes you need to wait till the sun shines at 318 Central. Thank you, Lena, for a moment. Absolutely. So Jude and I will be seeing everybody twice in March and it's going to be a really fun one. So first at the beginning of the month, we're gonna be chatting with the one and only rock and roll detective, one of our favorites, Jim Birkenstadt, who is quite a character. And he has, is releasing his new book, Mysteries in the Music, Case Closed. Jim has spent the last three years investigating some of the longest running unsolved mysteries in the rock world. Stories involving the Beatles and the Stones, Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, and Kurt Cobain, just to name a few. And he'll be here to share those stories with us, along with the strange and bizarre answers that he found. So don't miss this eye-opening show. Yeah, and he's going to have his illustrator with him as well, who is very cutting edge and chic. And the cover that she's done for his book is almost as good as the one that Rayan Kessler did for the cover of our last book. Yes, no, it's excellent, excellent, very, very excellent. And then at the end of March, uh, Laura, Laura Cortner and Dr. Bob Hieronymus are going to be here for part two of their book, It's All in the Mine, Inside the Beatles' Yellow Submarine, which is a topic I know zippity-doo-dah about, so I cannot wait to hear what they have to say. And um, they are going to be here just the week before we all gather in person, April 1st through the 3rd at the New Jersey Hilton for the Fest for Beatles fans in Jersey City, New Jersey, looking, if you haven't been there, it is a stupendous hotel overlooking the New York skyline. At night, you can sit and look out the window at the gorgeous skyline. It's going to be so much fun for everyone. So tune in to hear what Laura and Bob have to say as they talk about Yellow Submarine, and we'll have some sneak peeks of uh, who will be at the Fest for Beatles fans as well. So until March, stay warm and safe, and we wish you uh, a day that makes you happy. Just look for the happy. We to say that all the time. Don't forget to read Jude's inspirational Wait Till the Sun Shines at 318central.com. And please know that we're with you. You are not alone. So here's to food for thought, food for the soul, food for the love of rock and roll. Draw and shine on. <laughs>